In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. From that moment, the beautiful description of the beginning of the world, mankind had a destiny to fulfill. Generations of God's children would pass through an earthly existence in their own unique way, but all of us would face joy and sorrow, peace and pain, despair and deliverance. And all of it centered around the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Through the lens of the Old Testament, we can deepen our understanding of God's plan for us and of Christ's eternal ministry. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit can teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. Okay, naming all the books in the Old Testament, let's do this. Genesis, I can't do them in order. Leviticus, Exodus. I think that the Old Testament is perhaps a bit intimidating to people because of its length and also because of its language. Uh, Psalms, uh, Job, Malachi. Oh shoot, this is bad. No, I can't, I can't think of any others. <laughs> I feel like it's really important for us to learn from God's children no matter when in time they have lived. History tends to repeat itself and human nature tends to be the same. And so we can learn about people from the past and their relationship with God and apply it to our lives today. Many of the same problems and challenges we face today were faced uh, thousands of years ago and we can learn from the way that people solved their problems and challenges. But even more than that, the Old Testament matters because it is the human family's first testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. So today's discussion is going to come from the books of Genesis, Moses, and Abraham. And the two topics we're going to cover today are first, why the Old Testament matters today, and second, under the direction of Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ created the earth. And to help us in our discussion, we have two special visitors. First, our scholar, Melissa Inouye, who is a historian with the Church History Department. Thanks for being here today, Melissa. So happy to be here. And uh, our special guest today is Brother Andrew Skinner, who is a professor emeritus of ancient scripture at BYU. Andrew, thank you for being here. Thank you for the invitation. Well, let's get right into uh, this first topic of why the Old Testament matters today. And I just want to get your initial brief thoughts on this idea of the Old Testament and how it can be applicable to all of us today. I'm not an expert on the Old Testament in an academic way, but as a church historian, I really love the Old Testament because like church history, it's full of real people who make um, mistakes, who face challenges, sometimes fall short, have to repent, um, get chastised by God. And um, I just think it's a great kind of guide for us. We realize that we don't have to be perfect in order to be involved in God's work. And God doesn't have to um, fix everything we do in the very minute. Sometimes God lets us make mistakes as we see in the Old Testament and also in church history. That's great. I love that. I'm excited to talk more about that. Brother Skinner. Maybe the first thing to say is that uh, the Old Testament is the first half of the Christian Bible. And the word Bible comes from a Greek word, Biblia, and it simply means books. And the Old Testament is this collection of 39 different books written at different periods and then collected at certain points in history. Uh, our first parents, Adam and Eve, kept a book of remembrance. And uh, those records then were passed down to successors. Prophets add their perspective and what God wants them to tell the people. By the time of Jesus Christ, the Old Testament, the, the Christian Old Testament, or the Hebrew Bible, as our Jewish brothers and sisters call it, uh, has been established and three major divisions of the Old Testament. The Law, or Torah, the Prophets, or the Nebi'im, and the Writings, or the Ketuvim, and those are the exact divisions that Jesus mentions during his mortal ministry. We may not realize this, but our American language culture is steeped in the language and traditions of the Old Testament. I just pulled out a few phrases that are taken directly from the Old Testament. See if you recognize them. Land of milk and honey, God save the king, still small voice, mantle of the prophet, steady the ark, hair stood on end, skin of my teeth, apple of his eye, 
a time for every purpose under heaven, line upon line, a marvelous work and a wonder. He set his house in order, hollow of his hand, drop in a bucket, can a leopard change its spots, trust not the arm of flesh, and so on and so on. These are phrases that we use every day. They're taken straight from the Old Testament. Wow, that's amazing. I, several of those, I had no, I've never made that connection. Is there anything from our audience that you studied or any uh, knowledge you gained as you be looking over chapters this week? Angela, please. Well, when I think of the Old Testament or any scripture, I think about how it's a record of people's dealings and their relationship with God and how God was a part of their lives, like how he helped them, how he delivered them. And um, I think that definitely has relevance to us today because we need deliverance and we need to know how to have a relationship with God. And in general, human nature doesn't change. And so we can learn from the past so that we don't repeat those same mistakes. And if we do, we know there's redemption through Christ and through the scriptures and the Old Testament, we can learn how to access the power of Jesus Christ in our lives to, to make things right. That is a great point. I love that. And it really kind of shows that there really is nothing old about the Old Testament, right? Melissa, I know as a, as a historian, you can appreciate the value of record keeping. Give us some insights on the value that the Old Testament brings to us through this record keeping process. The value that, well, can I, can I say, um, how, as a historian who appreciates records, the key thing for historians is understanding the context of the literature, the text. And in that context, their choices make more sense and their moral agency makes more sense because, you know, we, we live in a completely different world in terms of, you know, our daily lives, you know, what threatens us and um, what we kind of see as moral or not moral. So I think it's, um, the context is super helpful for me. On what do you think we can do as individuals and including the youth to better understand the Old Testament so that it's not this scary big book of scripture? Maybe one of the things is draw its relevance to us as Latter-day Saints. If we can uh, help others understand that they're connected, not just to people in contemporary society, but all the way back. And these people had the same kind of problems and concerns. They have, you know, are we gonna be involved in a war? How do we eat? What about drought? What about famine? Uh, what about uh, ethics in our political uh, system? All of those kinds of things go all the way back to the Old Testament. When we read the Old Testament, instead of um, kind of going through the stories and being like, yeah, I know this story, this happens and they say that and then they do this and then blah, 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 blah. We can try to, um, knowing that there's all of this relevance for our contemporary politics, ethics, family relations and everything, we can read with a question um, instead of trying to kind of say, like, what's the answer of this passage? We can say, what's the question of this passage? In the Old Testament, you find these stories where these characters find themselves in really difficult situations. And when we read with questions um, or look for questions, like what is the question that arises out of this situation? Then it can um, take our understanding and also our appreciation in, in more directions. I really like that. And the reason I like it is because the prophet Joseph Smith said the way he interpreted scripture was to figure out the answers that are given in scripture to the questions that were being asked. So, and it's, and it's not right. We can somehow help people understand. It's not wrong to have questions. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints started with a question. Right. And so, uh, yeah, this idea of questions and confidence that we'll find answers, relevant answers, in this book of scripture. So I like that perspective very much. Well, and then another thing is that when we, when we um, I think we have this habit sometimes of thinking if it's in scripture, then like we're supposed to do it. But then when you read the Old Testament, you're like, no, that is, that is not what's going <laughs> well, can on. Can you give us an example? <laughs> Don't mix milk and meat products. <laughs> well, I was... well, I just had a cheeseburger yesterday. <laughs> sometimes it's in scripture because we got to know the story but the story is a negative example. It's a, it's a cautionary tale. It's a, like, don't do that. One of our viewers has a question uh, in regards to connecting the Old Testament with today. Hi, we're Tim and Bonnie Law from Salem, Utah, and this is our granddaughter, Cambria Tolman. She has a question that a lot of kids her age have been asking. These stories happened a long time ago, so why should I care about them, and how can I incorporate them into my life today? They did happen a long time ago. So why should we care about some of these stories that we read about thousands of years ago? 
in today's world. If people are really children of God, then the experiences of one child of God at a certain time of place um, are no less valuable um, than another person's. And um, when you think about the value of something that's been passed down for thousands of years, and when you think about how hard it was in the Iron Age, for example, to keep and preserve records through all the different conditions, through the elements, through the passage of time, through violence and war, um, the records that have gotten all the way from um, these ancient times to now have been winnowed many times, right? And so many things didn't even make it into the Bible, right? Um, and, and the fact they've been, been preserved and, and kept and discussed for thousands of years um, shows their value. You know, there's so many stories out there. If I kept a blog, you know, would that make it into an ancient book of scripture? Probably not. Um, so, so these stories are like, in some ways, like the best of the best that um, humanity has to offer. And they're, they're so interesting and rich. Do you want to avoid the mistakes that were committed thousands of years ago? Because the same issues are still with us. Uh, do you see the value in living by the words of a living prophet? Well, they had living prophets. The continuity between ancient times and and our modern age is, uh, is best evidenced by looking at, at the Old Testament and how the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints really is the restoration of ancient things. The thing that I really appreciate about the Old Testament is the people in the Old Testament often had really hard lives. They went through some crazy stuff. And um, what I like about the Old Testament is the honesty of it. When I was first diagnosed with cancer and when I was going through um, some treatments and I was in a super bad place and I wasn't sure how long I would live, I loved to read these things like in Job chapter 6 verse 2, Oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed and my calamity laid in the balances together. For now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea, therefore my words are swallowed up. There's just um, such rich experience in the Old Testament. And I love how in the Old Testament, there's this tradition of lament, right? People aren't, it's not always great. People aren't always saying, yay, thank you so much, God, for everything. And I think that is a rich resource for us. Thank you so much for sharing. That really brings it really um, real, you know, to have you share something so personal and to open yourself to be so vulnerable really shows us that even though the Old Testament is an ancient scripture, through this process of study, we can really make it so relevant today. So from one of the youth in our audience, is there a specific story from the Old Testament that you feel has relevance to today? Adam, please. The David and Goliath story. Great story. Tell me, what do you learn from the story of David and Goliath? Goliath, he's like a this big guy, strong guy, and David, he's like this like small dude, no muscles. <laughs> Hopefully he didn't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. Um, and through his faith, he beat Goliath. I love that. Okay, so let's make a little bit more of a connection with this story. What would you say is a modern day Goliath that specifically youth today can overcome through faith? I think social media. Social media. Yeah. Okay. What are some of the influences or challenges of working with social media today? Sometimes we compare ourselves so much with things that are not real, you know? Or we want to, like, be like someone. And it's just, we just got to be ourselves. That's great. I hope, I really do hope that that message gets out to the audience because we really can overcome those influences that are everywhere through faith, just as David overcame Goliath. We know a lot of the places where the events in the Old Testament occurred. And uh, there is a hill that overlooks the Valley of Elah in Israel where this confrontation between David and Goliath uh, took place. And uh, they've made the hill into a national park. But it's interesting that the last few years, they've started taking the young men and young women who are uh, obligated to serve a period of time in the Israeli military. 
And what they've done is they've taken passages from the David and Goliath story and they've made a trail out of it so that you start hiking up this hill and about every 10 feet there's a passage of scripture that talks about the story of David and Goliath. And then at the top, there are um, a couple of stone monuments about the important lessons that David and Goliath teach us. Uh, trust in the Lord, as has been said. Uh, don't fear. Fear is a great enemy of truth. Well, these lessons then are placed there so that when these uh, companies of, of Israeli soldiers get there, in their mind is this biblical story that's part of their heritage, and they think, well, how does that apply to me? And some of the results have been quite amazing. Obviously, the Israeli military has one objective in mind, and that is to have a ready army for things that might happen in that part of the world. But think about how that builds the character of these individual men and women who are 18 and 19 years old, obligated by law to serve in the military for a period of time. Well, may, maybe we could build some monuments somewhere that tell the biblical stories that strengthen our character and, and help us to see that when we do trust in God, we can overcome these huge monumental obstacles or these huge monumental problems in our lives. Thank you so much. And uh, this has been a great discussion uh, about the relevance of the Old Testament today. So thank you so much for your comments. During the creation, I think it would have been wonderful to see how flowers were created. So much variety in flowers. It's too hard to pick one thing to choose in the creation. But to see how the stars were created and then to see how the mountains were made. Knowing that the earth was created by the hand of God and by Jesus Christ, I think is so fundamental to not only our belief, but just the purpose of our life on earth. He put time and effort into everything that he did. And it was for me, for my children, for all of his children. The fact that the earth was created not just by some random event in the cosmos, but that there was an actual intent towards it also shows that my life has a plan and it has an intent and that it's not just that we were randomly placed here, but that we have a purpose. Our second topic of discussion is under the direction of Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ created the earth. Now we have the book of Genesis, Moses, Abraham, all telling the story of the creation in a different way. And I would love to have your thoughts on the different versions and why we have so many of the creation. Well, the creation has been called one of the three pillars of eternity, creation, fall, atonement, or in other words, the three most important events uh, associated with our Heavenly Father's plan of salvation. Something so significant and so complex needs to be told from different perspectives. What I love in all of the creation accounts is the sense of abundance and, and the biodiversity, you know, the animals multiplying from the very beginning of, of you know, Genesis 1-1, where it talks about, um, about you know, how the earth was dark and without form and the spirit of God moves on the face of the waters. It's just so, it's so exciting and that um, the kind of animating power comes through in all of these accounts. So what is the significance that our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Parents, who could have done it themselves, What's the significance that they used Jesus Christ in the creative process, knowing what his role was going to be? Because Jesus Christ is the primordial Jehovah, the Father uh, put upon his beloved Son uh, not only the ability to speak as though he were God the Father in the first instance, but to act as though he were God the Father. And so it just naturally makes sense that one of the things that the Father would say to the Son you, you create what it is that we agreed upon will be part of the plan. I wanna ask the audience, have you gained any sort of insight or has there been any sort of connection that you have felt to Jesus Christ knowing that he was the creator? Mary Louise. Well, Jesus Christ is our savior and we know that he descended below all to really be able to know what we're going through and to succor us in everything that we experience here on earth. And adding this layer to it, that he's the creator of everything we experience down here, to me, just really emphasizes this knowledge that 
he understands everything. He created everything. He's experienced everything. And it just strengthens my love for him and appreciation for him as my savior. Thank you so much. I, very well stated. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Brother Skinner, uh, you have studied these scriptures for many years. And I'm just curious, how has the Spirit taught you through the story of the creation that you've been able to use personally? I guess the thought that comes to mind is that by knowing that Jesus Christ created worlds without number, it emphasizes for me his even greater power to redeem us. Section uh, 76, verse 42, Jesus Christ redeems all that he creates. And if he's created worlds without number, and he has the power to redeem those worlds, then he has the power not only to redeem me, but he has the power sufficient to answer every prayer and plea that I offer to him. This is a God who not only cares about us as individuals, but has such power that he, he creates this unimaginable universe. And yet that's not his real concern. His real concern is for me and for you and for you and for you. That's a wonderful thought. Is there a specific moment in your life where you really felt that personal connection when I was 14, um, my father died, and um, uh, we were very, very close. It, it was devastating to me. Uh, I, I just couldn't see my way out of uh, this black hole. Uh, but uh, I went to seminary, and the emphasis was on Jesus Christ. And uh, I actually had uh, an experience where the Savior came into my soul, and... Uh, and testified to me that, the, that things would be okay. And uh, I came to appreciate how uh, Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ work with, uh, with the younger saints, because uh, I was only 14, but um, it uh, formed a foundation really for the rest of my life. Heavenly Father's Spirit is real, uh, and, um, and there are different ways to tap into that power prayer, fasting, uh, participating in ordinances, uh, the sacrament, keeping his commandments. But if we'll be patient, it does happen. Thank you so much for sharing that, especially, you know, sharing something so personal. Melissa, I would love your thoughts. What have you gained through this process of studying about the creation, whether it's Adam and Eve, the earth? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, well, one thing that comes to mind is just the idea that if Christ um, created the earth, then the power that resurrects Christ is also all around us. Um, the power of renewal, the power of, of, of you know, seeds that sprout and are, are driven by these many processes to just grow and to flourish around us. You know, if Christ's power is here in the earth, then the earth is sacred. The things in it are sacred, the plants, the animals all of those things are following the command of God to, to multiply, to replenish. And so the, the diversity of the earth, the, um, the beauty of it um, are things that we need to preserve and protect. It's not about like how many of these things can we destroy while we're having fun. It's about how do we preserve this um, beautiful creation and seeing it as holy. It's the power of Christ, the power of the resurrection that is uh, all around us in the living things. Landon, please. Um, yeah, something that is incredible to me in thinking about the whole creation is remembering that idea that God's purpose and his glory is to bring to pass our immortality and eternal life. Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ and everyone involved in this creation, everything they've made is for that purpose all of it. it, the very fabric of nature is tied together with God's love. Is there something specific that has been created that you feel God is telling Landon, this is my way of showing you, look, I love you, I got you. 
I think it's it's not a physical creation, but the design of having human relationships. Okay. The fact that we have families, mm-hmm. the fact that we have friends, and this is my wonderful wife here, that we have each other. Um, knowing that Heavenly Father patterned things here after the way they are intended to be eternally, that just screams God's love to me. <laughs> I really want to, to hone in on that. How does the Holy Ghost talk to Landon? In that moment, this is me expressing my love to you. What does it feel like to you? I, I love that question. I, in, in the moments when I feel it, it'll be having a conversation with somebody or something. And I would say a sense of peace, but even further than that, it's this sense of this, this feeling settles in to my heart of feeling like there's just good in the world and that there's possibilities everywhere. It's the opposite of when Satan wants you to think you're at a dead end and Satan wants you to think there's no hope. It's this beautiful blossoming hopefulness. You just think of a million good things you would be happy to go and do and and say to just the people around you. Matt, that is such a great perspective. I love that. Thank you. Um, One of the key elements of the creation is the creation of man and woman, this idea that we are created in the image of God. And Melissa, I would love to to get your thoughts on, as humans, the human creation, man, woman, image of God. What are your thoughts on that? Um, Well, maybe I can share two quotes from Brigham Young and from James E. Talmadge, so Latter-day prophets and apostles that build on the teaching of Joseph Smith that, um, you know, which we find in our hymns today, um, reflected by Eliza R. Snow, who was, um, you know, around Joseph Smith when he was teaching these teachings about Heavenly Mother. Uh, Brigham Young said, we were created in the image of our father and our mother, the image of our God. Um, it's so beautiful to think about how uh, male or female were created in, in the image of our heavenly parents. And um, James E. Talmadge said something also really interesting. He said, we are literally the sons and daughters of divine parents, the spiritual progeny of God, our eternal father and of our God mother. And as you can see throughout the history of the church, this doctrine of having a mother in heaven has been kind of front and center. I just love how um, I, I have this idea of a spiritual exemplar uh, who is like me and I can become like her. Thank you so much. And I'm excited to, to dive in a little bit deeper into uh, the creation and, and how we are created in the image of God as we go into footnotes. So hang on to those thoughts. We'll get into that. And for you viewers here and at home, uh, I want you to be thinking about, uh, as we've been studying this week, uh, what are some of the things that have stood out to you? uh, Or specifically, what has the Holy Ghost taught you about these topics? I think the Spirit speaks to me most often when I am connecting to a work of art or fiction or a movie where someone has touched on one of the pieces of the human existence that is universal. It's usually when I've had a question in my mind about something and it could come um, when I'm praying, it could come when I'm reading the scriptures, it could come when I'm listening to other, you know, modern day apostles and prophets. Most often when the Spirit speaks to me, I'm quiet, I'm by myself, or I'm doing something that will help the Spirit speak to me. That's when I usually feel the Spirit, is when I put myself in a place where um, I'm alone, and I'm meditating, and I write things out, and I think there's power in writing, because as I write things out, answers come to me. Welcome back to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We're excited to invite another guest to be with us, Dr. Jamie Jensen, who is an associate professor at the biology department with BYU. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited to talk about this topic. Uh, this, this creation comes up in my science class all the time, and it's a topic that can bring some tension. So I'm excited to hash it out, discuss that. Well, we're excited to learn from you and to learn from the insights of our returning guests from the previous segment. So thank you both for being back with us. 
Well, let's go ahead and dive right in. Um, I'd love to just get some initial thoughts and insights on what we've been studying. The scriptures are interested mostly in who and why and don't really talk about the how of creation. For example, behold are not the things that God hath wrought marvelous in our eyes, yea, and who can comprehend the marvelous works of God? Who shall say that it was not a miracle by his word that heaven and earth should be? And by the power of his word, man was created of the dust of the earth. And by the power of his word have miracles been wrought. That leaves uh, a lot open for discussion. And I'm, I'm curious to, to know how you approach the subject. Well, you're reminding me of my very first of many faith crises when I was a high school student. I was you know, studying biology and chemistry, and I went to my bishop and I said, well, um, what do we think about evolution? And um, the bishop gave me this you know, published book, and it said, in the book it said, you, know, you cannot be a Latter-day Saint who believes in evolution and the atonement of Jesus Christ at the same time. So I was just complete, I just didn't know what to do at that point because I thought, you know, it's, a, it's published, it's a church book, so where does that leave me? Am I really supposed to study this science stuff? What do you say, scientist? Yeah. <laughs> That's a common misconception, and I think it's a, it's a cultural thing. Uh, one of the, the big part that it stems from is that people misunderstand the nature of science, both how it works and the limitations of science, right? And so, but, but also understanding that science can't make any statements about the nature of God. Learning about evolution shouldn't be something that has, a, has any kind of power over your belief in God. There's, there's no wow. conflict there. Yeah. How do you make that reconciliation between learning about the creation, yet still keep your faith? Yeah, and that's, that's a great question. It's actually common to most um, Judeo-Christian religions and even Muslim religions that, that I deal with a lot of them, and it's, it's common issues from Genesis. And we're so blessed as Latter-day Saints to have more revealed scripture. So if I, if I may, I'd like to read just a couple of things from Abraham. So in Abraham 4, 18, it says, and the gods watched those things which they had ordered until they obeyed. And it talks later in 21 that God prepared the waters to bring forth um, the mighty whales and every living creature. And the gods saw that they would be obeyed and that their plan was good. Mm -hmm. And I like to think of this as God being a very knowledgeable scientist and using natural laws and, and preparing the earth to bring forth the creatures that we have today and everything that we have today in plants and animals and humans and saying, all right, we're going to set it in motion and we're going to watch and see if it obeys. And so in my mind, God is a scientist and uses the processes that we can study in science as his tools of creation. That's a very simple explanation, but I think it really does help to view the power that God uses as science to kind of yeah. bridge that gap. I love that. Can I ask a follow-up question? Sure. Which I hope, I'm sure you get all the time. Uh, what do you think about Adam and Eve? How did Adam and Eve fit into that <laughs> perspective? We actually just gave our, our hominid lecture in my biology class at BYU last, um, last class period on Monday. And that's always the question we get. And the answer, the short answer is we, we don't know. There's no modern revelation, a revelation of any kind on where exactly Adam and Eve fit into this, but they do fit in. Right? So we know that God created man. We don't know how. And there's a lot of, actually, when students come and talk to me, I tell them, I, I'll give you four ways or five ways that Adam and Eve could fit into this. But the idea is that Adam and Eve were placed into appropriate bodies. Um, but where on the timeline, it's anybody's guess. The thing that I also appreciate about learning about the creation is how God viewed it. Uh, along the, the steps of creation, we constantly read that God saw that it was good. And then when he's finished his creative work, he says he saw it and it was very good. And that, uh, again, ties in with, uh, with modern revelation. Section 59 of the Doctrine and Covenants tells us that the creation of the earth was not just for utilitarian purposes, I love these words because it helps me to understand the personality, the nature of God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. 
this is uh, starting with verse 16. Verily I say that inasmuch as ye do this, the fullness of the earth is yours, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the air and that which climbeth upon the trees and walketh upon the earth. Yea, and the herb and the good things which come of the earth, whether for food or for raiment or for houses or for barns or for orchards or for gardens or for vineyards, yea, all things which come of the earth in the season thereof are made for the benefit and use of man, both to please the eye and to gladden the heart for food and raiment, for taste and smell, to strengthen the body and to enliven the soul. So I, I believe that, that Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, are beings that appreciate the things that they created. And it wasn't just to keep us going, to keep us alive. It's to enliven the soul. It's to make us happy when we're in creation. And that's something that I particularly am grateful for. And I think it's, it's an interesting commentary on, like you said, on, on God and His nature. I mean, if He indeed used natural processes to create life, I can only imagine how pleased he must have been that it obeyed and did what he thought. So imagine in study of biology, you really see that connection between human life and other forms of life and how there has to be a harmony that exists, uh, which is why we're here on this planet, you know, and the, the commandment that Adam and Eve were given to multiply and replenish the earth kind of building on that idea of work together with the creations that I've, that I've given you. Well, when we're all connected, right? We all share a biological ancestry. And so what harms them harms mm -hmm. us. And so I think even more so understanding and being able to embrace the idea that we share a common biological ancestry can help us as we make these decisions about stewardship, that these are our kin right? Not just something to subdue or destroy. I keep coming back to the word dominion. And I think I learned this from a colleague of yours, actually, in uh, biology, uh, along with a venerable old professor named Hugh Nibley, who mm. points us to the origins of the word uh, dominion from the Latin dominus, uh, dominus meaning Lord. And a good way to think about this is the Lord of the manor. The Lord of the manor has a responsibility to take care of, to nurture, to ensure the continuation of the resources of the manor. It's not to beat down on them and to use them you know, in, a, in a way, however he or she feels, but rather it is to make sure that there's a continuation of this. And I like that image very, very much. Can I ask a question for this esteemed panel? Um, in <laughs> chapter 3 of Moses, verse 5 and 7, we have the Lord God saying, I, the Lord God, created all things of which I have spoken spiritually before they were naturally upon the face of the earth. And then in 7, I, the Lord God, formed man from the dust of the ground, and man became a living soul, the first flesh of the earth. Nevertheless, all things were before created, but spiritually were they created and made according to my word. What do you think about that scripture? What are the implications of that? I, I firmly believe that, that our Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother and their Son, Jesus Christ, had, had a plan. All of it was created spiritually as, as a blueprint for what's going to happen. But I think God was smart enough to know how it was going to take place. And so there's actually two ways of, of looking at God's involvement in the creation. One is sort of a, I have my own silly names for him, but I call it the domino effect versus the tinkering model. So the domino effect being that he, in his infinite wisdom, set it up with the Big Bang and the creation of the earth and then just let it go like dominoes and knew what was coming because he'd planned it out very carefully, which is why I love that scripture where he says, and they saw that it, it obeyed. Mm -hmm. Shocking, it obeyed, <laughs> right? But the other one is that tinkering, which is also possible that he got it started and then he tinkered all along the way, making it go in the directions he wanted it to go. And either one is, is possible. Either one fits with the scientific data and with what we believe religiously. But I, I don't think it was any accident. There was a plan. He knew exactly where it was going and that human beings would evolve and be the perfect tabernacle for the, for the spirit children of God to come and dwell. If you were to give some sort of warning or caveat to delving too far into figuring it out for sure. What would you, what are your thoughts on that? That's a great question. And, and it really, it doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter. What matters is that we know that Adam was the first man. He was in the image of God, that we are spirit children that have come to earth to be in these tabernacles that are going to teach us what we need to learn. So I want to kind of focus a little bit, you know, staying on the creative process, I want to kind of bring it a little closer to home where, you know, those in the audience can relate to how have you guys as individuals um, recognized the gifts that were created on your behalf and how have you been mindful and careful to nurture and, and become stewards over those things? What about um, in Moses 7, the Lord talking about creation says to Enoch, Behold these thy brethren, they are the workmanship of mine own hands. And I gave unto them their knowledge in the day I created them. And in the garden of Eden, I gave unto man his agency. And unto thy brethren have I said and also given commandment that they should love one another and that they should choose me their father. But behold, they are without affection and they hate their own blood. And that's why God is weeping. So in this section, I see a couple of gifts, our knowledge or our intelligence, our agency, and then our relationships, like our abilities to choose to choose one another and to uh, be to, to love one another, um, but what you what we're seeing in in the scripture, at least in the case of the people that the Lord was talking to to Enoch about, um, we squandered those gifts. Um, if if intelligence and agency and relationships are all gifts, what can I do? Just as as we would um, try to kind of nurture and cultivate living things like plants and animals, how do I cultivate and nurture? and expand in a kind of network, uh, my relationships with other people. Um, maybe just like there's natural biodiversity, that just, which is the key to our survival, the key to the nature behaving in a way that is beneficial to us. Maybe like biodiversity in our spiritual, um, in our spiritual connections with our fellow beings is also key to our, our well-being as children of God. What do you think about that? Um, from a biologist's perspective, <laughs> The body itself, if it did indeed evolve, and that's an if, if it evolved, then it would be inherently a selfish being because that's what evolution favors. And so I often think about if, if I were a parent and I wanted to create the perfect body that would challenge my children, that would force them to choose to be Christ-like, that it wasn't natural, it wasn't inborn, I'd create their body through evolution because it's going to create a body that is selfish and that chooses me over anything else. I mean, you look at children, right? And their first word is often mine and no, <laughs> right? It's going to challenge us to find what are our spiritual gifts and to cultivate those and to overcome that, that natural man and choose to be Christ-like. That is, I think, partly what he was talking about. You know, we all struggle with things. I'm the first to admit, I have the shortest temper on the planet. I just really fast, and then I calm down. And that's one of those things that I'm always trying to overcome. And so for me, there have been a lot of, I think, blessings the Lord has given me in the form of my children <laughs> that have taught me patience. And I don't think I'll ever quite be done with that lesson. Um, but that's, I, for me, the gift of patience has come through my children. I love that. Those are great thoughts. Andy, with your experience and knowledge, um, what would you say is something that you have seen in your life that the gifts that you've been given from our heavenly parents, how have you used those gifts to replenish the earth? Well, first of all, I think that the gifts that we've been given were developed in our premortal existence. And again, to the point that God doesn't leave his children to luck or to the plan, at the plan to chance. Uh, you know, the Apostle Paul says, God is made of one blood, all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and determine the times before appointed the bounds of habitation. E even our existence on the earth wasn't left to chance uh, in, uh, in a theological way. Uh, I guess one of the things that, uh, that I think about is how can I help others and do it in a loving way. And uh, as you mentioned charity, the thought came to me that the advantage that we have is that we're told we can pray for an absolute increase in charity and it will be granted to us. And that, that's something that we can do over and over and over again and more intensely. We can pray for the gift of charity and that takes us back to Jesus Christ. The pure love of Jesus Christ is charity. And if we have that charity, then we're naturally 
uh, absolutely interested in the welfare of, of those around us. And it's been my experience that when we, we try to help others because we, th we see um, a better way, then the Lord increases uh, our, our love and our desire to, to help others. One of the unique things about our circumstances relative to the animal kingdom is that we can pray to a heavenly father who knows us better than we know ourselves. I don't know how many eons we spent with our heavenly parents, but, uh, but I do know that we inherited uh, some of their gifts and we can develop all of those gifts uh, by following the example of Christ. So uh, that's, I guess uh, what I'm saying is pray. <laughs> pray for that gift of charity. I love that. That's so you know how, um, again, in Moses, God says, I created people and I told them have charity, yet they're without affection. They hate their own blood. You know, today we live in a very divisive oh, yeah. time. Mm -hmm. how, how do you think, you know, it's not like we don't want to have charity. Yeah, we are in these kind of political, social, tribal, whatever they are, structures. They make it really hard to kind of connect with our fellow beings in that charitable way. What would you like prescribe for us today to not repeat the, the mistakes of being without affection, hating our own blood? I, well, the first thought that comes to me is that uh, we see that the thing that our Father in Heaven holds inviolate is our agency, our moral agency. And as bad as things get, he will not intervene in most cases because if he did, then that would ruin the purposes of the plan. You know, we were schooled by our heavenly parents in premortal existence. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that normal human beings are completely devoid of the feelings that we cultivated in our premortal existence. We can certainly diminish them and, and in fact, some cases turn them off. People, you know, eventually reach the point of having no affection. So you got to realize that, you know, this is heavenly father. This is the thing that he will not change. But the other thing that I think we need to realize is that we're born into a fallen world. And no matter what we do, we're still surrounded by the fall. It infuses and suffuses everything that we do. And you know, we, we have to try our very best. That's not a, maybe a happy answer. We have to try our very best to uh, become children of God, to get rid of the natural man. And sometimes it comes down to, I will make this choice no matter what. We have to resolve to do that. The, the only thing that changes this, that our, our environment is we get rid of the natural man through obedience to our Father in heaven, and it, and it sounds, I know it sounds hackneyed, and it sounds like uh, it's the same old stuff being preached over and over again, but it is, in fact, the way that it has to be. We have to, uh, we have to become new creatures in Jesus Christ, and we have to pray for charity, which is his pure love, uh, which he will give to us, and then we have to act on that, and sometimes it just comes down to a conscious decision. I will choose this over this. Part of the natural man is understanding that everybody has a different genetic, I call it a genetic yeah. palette, right? So one of the things that's going to help resolve some of the tension, I think, is for people to realize that the struggles that you struggle with are not the same as the struggles that other people struggle with. So like I struggle with a short temper, which is very much a genetic that has very much a genetic component. Oh, great. That it makes does, me feel so right? much better. And so someone but you're else's, not off the hook. <laughs> not off the hook. But someone else's struggles might be different. And I hear so often, especially today, when, with some of the controversial issues that come up, I hear people say, oh, well, you, you know, my, my sin, my struggle is so much harder than your yeah. struggle. And I think there is no way for any of us to be able to judge whose sin was harder to overcome than in others because everybody is dealing with a different genetic palette. And so something that seems to be an easy decision for you, like I can abstain from anything addictive. I just don't have those addictive genes right. and I can make decisions and I can follow them through. But then there's other people who we've found genetic mutations that lead to addictive behaviors. We know what those are. And if you have them, then that choice is harder for you than it is for me. So you can't compare oh, my life and my trials are harder than your life and your trials because you have no idea what it's like to be literally in their skin, to have the natural body that they have 
that we're, we're all starting with that. So we don't come perfect from heaven. From a spiritual point of view, isn't that an aspect of pride? And if there's one thing that we learn in the scriptures is work to get rid of pride, yeah. seek humility, seek meekness, uh, because you're right. How, how do I know what you're feeling? And the only being in the universe that can know all of the variables that go into make up who you are is our Father in heaven, well, his son, Jesus Christ. So again, we're back to charity. Yeah. I need to view you with greater charity. And, and I'm reminded of a, a, a statement by C.S. Lewis. Uh, if we understood the nature of everyone around us, we would, be, we would see them as gods and goddesses, and we would be tempted to fall down and worship them. We do ultimately have the seeds of divinity flowing in, in each of us, whether, they're, whether we're women or men, we know from passages in the book of Abraham that uh, all of us were created in the image of the gods, male and female. So we know that the gods is plural and we know that gods are of two genders, male and female. So we have those seeds of divinity within us. Why can't we strive to manifest those in mortality better? We're looking well, through a glass darkly. Yeah, has to come to with prayer. Keep, what keeps going on in my mind is this idea that wherever we are along this path, that we are living the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus Christ came down, he suffered for all of our sins, for our imperfections, and allowing us, wherever we fall on this line in mortality, whatever our process is, whatever decisions we make, that when the natural man comes out, that at the end of the day, it comes down to the fact that we have a Savior who allows us to overcome all those weaknesses. And I thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a great discussion. And what I like about it, it has led me to want to go in and, and search more about the scriptures. And so we really appreciate you being with us. And thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Come Follow Up. We'll see you next time. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.